This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. As promised a couple of weeks back, we wanted to finish our discussion with Dr. Douglas Peredney about his excellent book, Overhauling America's Healthcare Machine. We will do that in our second segment today. We we'll report, too, that uh, our chat last week with uh, actor Norman Lloyd was followed up on by uh, yours truly making a visit down to Hollywood, literally, Musso Frank's Grill, which I believe was Hollywood's first restaurant back in 1919, still going strong. We got to quite a bit of time with Mr. Lloyd talking about uh, his peers, contemporaries, uh, including Orson Welles, Alfred Hitchcock, and Charlie Chaplin. He was quite a delight to talk to, and we'll be uh, airing that probably two weeks from now on this program. But let us begin today's show as we like to do with On This Date in History. The date in question is the 26th of May. Turns out, not a very interesting day in world history. Although it was on this date in 1521 that the German church reformer Martin Luther was banned by the Edict of Worms because of his writings and religious beliefs. On May 26, 1703, the English diarist Samuel Pepys died. Pepys' diaries gave a vivid account of 17th century life, including court intrigues and accounts of the Great Plague of 1666 and the Fire of London in the same year. We have quoted Samuel Pepys on this program before, and our bonus quote of the day will be from him, which is that being on a ship is like being in prison with the added possibility of drowning. On this date in 1864, Abraham Lincoln signed an act establishing the Montana Territory, an effort to add free territories to the Union during the Civil War. Little happened in Montana, apparently, until gold got discovered there. On this date in 1897, Irish horror writer Bram Stoker's classic vampire tale, Dracula, is offered for sale in London. It, of course, tells the story of a Transylvanian vampire and his English victims. And although it's a pretty good book, and of course later a classic movie with Bela Lugosi, it unfortunately was the inspiration for all of this vampire crap currently (laughs) dominating American culture. And finally, on May 26, 1981, American attorney S. Pal Asija, a programmer and patent lawyer, received a patent for software. Mind you, this is only 20 years ago. Previously, software was protected only by copyright, making it easy for competitors to steal software ideas. This patent set a legal precedent for software patent rights. And final curious item on this date, I told you, it's not a a great shakes day in world history. In 1953, on May 27th, the movie It Came From Outer Space debuted in Los Angeles. It was based on a Ray Bradbury story and appeared in 3D. The film's about an alien ship that crashed in Arizona. Then at a deadly pace, it came from outer space. Two days later, Walt Disney released the first 3D cartoon, Melody. Although various 3D formats had been around for decades, industry interest peaked in the early 1950s as studios sought ways to differentiate movies from the, the new medium of television. And of course, Ms. Royal likes to point out, 3D is back. We'll be right back. 
All right. For our quote of the day, I would cite uh, former President Richard Nixon. While on my trip down to Los Angeles and Orange County uh, this week to interview Mr. Lloyd, I did take a detour to visit the Nixon Presidential Library in Yorba Linda. I'll have more to say about that later. But uh, our quote of the day comes from America's 37th president, Richard Nixon, who explained why he kept Vice President Spiro Agnew on the ticket in 1972. Said Nixon, because no assassin in his right mind would kill me. We would hasten to add that apparently George Herbert Walker Bush took, <laughs> took a play out of the Nixon playbook when he chose Dan Quayle. Our quip of the day, also Nixon-related. By the way, this comes from the book by Paul Slansky, Idiots, Hypocrites, Demagogues, and More Idiots, under a category called The Single Best Metaphor in the History of Politics Involving Toothpaste. It noted that in an effort to discourage Richard Nixon's counsel, John Dean, from meeting with prosecutors in 1973 to talk about Watergate, Chief of Staff H.R. Haldeman told Dean, Once the toothpaste is out of the tube, it's going to be very tough to get it back in. And our bonus quote quip of the day comes from Mormon Republican presidential hopeful Mitt Romney, who, when asked in 2007 what his favorite novel was, named Scientology founder L. Ron Hubbard's Battlefield Earth, causing his campaign distress repeatedly over the next several days. The Bible, of course, is his favorite overall book. What? No Book of Mormon? By the way, I would also note that on my trip down to Hollywood, taking a stroll around from the Musso and Frank's Grill, I went past an exhibit on Hollywood Boulevard near the Wax Museum on the history of L. Ron Hubbard. The storefront appeared to contain numerous, I mean numerous, Pulp Fiction articles that, as far as I know, were never actually written by L. Ron Hubbard. And although the cost of the admission to this facility is quite minimal, there appeared to have been no takers. All right, our jokes of the day come from Dave Barry, who said on his calendar, I probably shouldn't admit this to you younger readers, but when my generation was your age, we did some pretty stupid things. I'm talking about crazy risks. We drank water right from the tap. We used aspirin bottles you could actually open with your bare hands. We bought appliances that were not festooned with <laughs> such helpful safety warnings as do not bathe with this toaster. But for sheer insanity, the wildest thing we did was to, prepare to be shocked, we deliberately ingested carbohydrates. He goes on, you youngsters won't believe this, but there was a time when Americans actually made physical things called products right here in America. Workers would go to large Grammy buildings called factories where they would take raw material, such as iron ore, and perform industrial acts on it, such as forging and smelting. By the end of the day, they'd turn the ore into something useful, such as a locomotive or a toaster or, this was not a big seller, a toaster locomotive. Today, of course... We don't make anything. If you give iron ore to a modern American worker, it will get into their Starbucks mocha latte, and they will sue you, and they will win. All right, our stat of the day, according to Playboy slash Harris Interactive Polling, 27% of men and 23% of women say they have been photographed or filmed nude. 15% of men and 9% of women say they filmed themselves having sex. And 16% say they've used their cell phones for sexting, sending nude photos or erotic messages to a partner. And although we encourage contributions from our listeners, we would note that if you have photographed yourself 
having sex, please do not send clips to info at radioparallax.com. Well, with one exception, we will accept them if you are Penelope Cruz. And by the way, the opinions expressed in this program do not, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regents of the University of California, who we're pretty sure don't want to receive any nude films of you or sexting messages, even if you are Penelope Cruz. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. of the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for Sweet Justice. After operators of an Amtrak train headed for Salem, Oregon, stopped the train so that Lakeisha Beard, age 39, could be escorted off. Beard allegedly spent 16 hours speaking loudly on her cell phone in a quiet car. And in terms of good and bad news, we have the fact that the human race did survive the supposed end of the world on May 21st, as predicted by Christian radio broadcaster Harold Camping. Good news for us, but bad news is that Harold Camping says he's got the date wrong. It's actually now October 21st that the world will end. Uh, more to say about that also a little bit later. All right, it was uh, correspondingly a bad week last week for America's drug war. In the wake of the arrest of Antonio Hernandez in North Carolina, who was held in jail for four days after police thought that the 91 pounds of tortilla dough in his truck was, in fact, cocaine. Now, apparently, as this story goes, uh, apologetic officers in North Carolina claim that a cheese enzyme in the tortilla dough created false positives on their drug test. Well, I suppose that is plausible. However, the lack of resemblance of this doughy substance to <laughs> powdered cocaine, one would think would have maybe gotten Mr. Hernandez sprung from jail a little bit quicker than four days out, don't you think? And I know we got some pretty sharp guys out there fighting America's drug war, which is why we're which is why really drugs are, are pretty much impossible to obtain in any American city. But that one has to be a new low. And actually, Mr. Millen suggests that it may have been harder to obtain tortillas in North Carolina for four days than it was to obtain crack cocaine. That's just idle speculation on our part. Finally, it was an ugly week last week for rock history in the wake of Mental Floss magazine revealing that in 1979, the B-52's hit Rock Lobster became the band's first to hit the Billboard Top 100, and at the time, former Beatle John Lennon, who'd been away from music for about three years, heard Rock Lobster and was inspired to start writing music again. Reportedly, Lennon said the song moved him because it, quote, sounds just like Yoko's music, unquote. Note of the magazine, it's unclear whether or not that was meant to be a compliment. All 
right, let's do some letters. Uh, we appreciate pitches that people give us for possible guests. Well, we, we usually appreciate them. Some maybe less so, like the one we received recently from Al, who wrote me to say, I have available to separate fact from fiction on the health issue, Sally Pipes, president and CEO of the Pacific Research Institute, a San Francisco-based think tank. Ms. Pipes holds global recognition for her expertise in health care. Her latest book, The Truth About Obamacare, is available on Amazon. He goes on, her, her first book, released in 2004, Miracle Cure, How to Solve America's Healthcare Crisis and Why Canada Isn't the Answer, was followed by her second book, which included a foreword by Steve Forbes, The Top Ten Myths of American Healthcare, A Citizen's Guide. Goes on to cite numerous programs, usually on Fox News, that she'd appeared on. So I wrote back, Al, to say, Dear Al, Sally Pipes would be a welcome addition to our show for many reasons. We're huge fans of books that have Steve Forbes forwards. His three pages of intro really spruced up last year's Yachts of the Turks and Caicos Islands. In addition, her appearance on shows hosted by big, chubby Caucasian men with loud voices and small Johnsons have no doubt showed Sally at her best. I'll bet the sexual tension was so thick you could cut it with a knife with the likes of Glenn Beck and left him crying again, only perhaps this time in frustration and angst. As much as we delight in getting pitches from corporate-sponsored CEOs of right-wing think tanks, check out our interview with Buster Pedrovka, who directs the Race Relations Group, Ship Their Asses Back to Africa. There's just not enough time to cover all these outside-the-box ideas. But good luck with your pitch. As a tip, I would suggest focusing your efforts on radio stations in places like Chowchilla, places where they think Dennis Miller has still got it, Rush Limbaugh is an intellectual, and the KKK is tough, but fair. And you know, doggone it, I haven't gotten any more pitches from that guy. We want to talk on this show about the recent uh, item in the Sacramento Bee about 70 state parks having to shut up. So I want to quote a letter from Sue White to the Sacramento Bee on this, who said, Regarding how Arena Puzzle is shaping up May 14th, Sacramento has to come up with $30 million a year for 30 years for an arena. Even though I'm a fan, this infuriates me. I read the other headlines in the same issue, 70 state parks to shut, insurers rank in profits, more than 1,200 teachers get layoff notices, and sheriff DA face grim cuts in staffing. I note that if I were among any of those groups listed above, I would make sure I remembered who voted for what come election time. Sorry to say we're stuck with these Sacramento Kings articles about arenas that need to be built and how the public needs to be fleeced and how this will all be good for us. We're stuck with that for another year, it looks like. God help us all. Of course, you know, not to say that our mayor, Sacramento Mayor Kevin Johnson, former NBA player himself, is uh, spending an undue amount of time to help the billionaire owners of the Sacramento Kings, but we did note that he did travel back east to attend the NBA draft. Meanwhile, closer to home, the city can't decide if it wants to still pick up our lawn trimmings. And I gave this a thought when I was down in Southern California. There's plenty of areas down there where there are mm, not much in the way of trees. So I don't imagine all the, the neat, to clean streets of places like Yorba Linda would have any need for a claw like they use in Davis or Sacramento. But if you do choose to live in a place that has a lot of trees and a lot of leaves falling off of them, etc., well, then it seems to me that putting your clippings out in the street 
if you have huge volumes of them, and we tend to do so, um, it's a pretty good deal. And we would cite Ginger Rutland's Part 2 editorial in the Sacramento Bee on this topic, titled, If City Hall Can't Fix Leaf Debris, What Can It Fix? Said Ginger, for me, leaf pickup in Sacramento is like snow removal in Chicago. It's one of those essential and basic services. When a municipality can't get that right, something's really wrong. She notes that here, huge piles of yard clippings are stacking up all over the city. A couple of years back, some bright sparks in the city decided they would institute a new, quote, voluntary, unquote, program, wherein you were given bins to put your clippings. Well... Someone like myself, who has far too many clippings to fit into a bin, didn't think that was a good idea. So I sent mine back. There's currently a a ballot measure coming up in the fall to decide whether the city will be able to change how they do their leaf and litter pickup. Ginger Rutler notes that the city of Davis still provides loose leaf pickup in the streets for all residents, as Sacramento once did. She notes the policy irks bicyclists who find the piles hazardous. I would say, well, Ginger, I've got 30 years of riding bikes in Davis and Sacramento, and I never had a problem with it. Ginger notes that Davis's private waste hauler also charges less, 28 per month versus 34 for Sacramento. So she asks, why is Sacramento's bad service so costly? Well, the city council did mandate that weekly recycling back in 2004. That may be a mistake. Maybe coming every other week would do fine. And a couple of independent audits have shown that perhaps uh, Sacramento could put its solid waste services out for bid to a private contractor. I don't know. I'm very happy with what's called the claw coming by every week or two to pick up litter. This needs to be retained, and we'll be talking about this uh, as that ballot measure looms come next fall. Sounds like a minor point, but again... I agree with Ginger Rutland. If City Hall can't fix leaf debris, what can it fix? And we can't uh, go this week without uh, making a comment on these horrible tornadoes which have struck Missouri this week. It's apparently has been the worst week for tornadoes uh, in the U.S. in the last 50 years. We don't think of this as a California problem, but uh, the briefing section of the Week magazine notes that... uh, Tornadoes have occurred in all 50 states, including California. And although, with having lunch with a, and although when I was having lunch with a friend of mine in Fresno a few days back, I mentioned that as far as I knew, you'd want to drive your car uh, near an, ab- an abutment or some overhang and try and wait things out. Apparently, that was bad advice. According to the Storm Prediction Center at NOAA, the best way to survive a tornado if you're out in a car is to get out and get down. Cars are described as death traps. They suggest that unless you can find shelter or drive out of the path of the tornado, get out of your car, lie face down on the ground in as low a spot as you can find. And suggest, perhaps very, not very helpfully, uh, don't let prudence yield to panic. Of course, it goes without saying that basements are the safest spot in, in to, to stay in your house. Of course, most California houses don't have those. Uh, next best alternative may be the hallway. You should stay away from windows, and article states that you shouldn't bother trying to open them. But above all, avoid mobile homes where half of all tornado deaths occur. As far as we know at Radio Parallax, there's no evidence to suggest that mobile homes actually attract tornadoes. Although many a wisecracking comedian has made that suggestion. Speaking of wisecracking comedians, let's hear from our own good pal, Mr. Will Durst. (laughs) 
Hey guys, Will Durst here, wondering what the hell is the deal with the male politicians these days? Guys, they're giving us men a bad name. And trust me, we don't need the negative publicity. Yes, I'm speaking specifically about Dominique Strauss-Kahn, the French former managing director of the International Monetary Fund, who allegedly assaulted a maid in his Manhattan hotel room, then petitioned for bail, claiming not to be a flight risk, even though he was apprehended on a plane flying out of town. Which, if you ask me, is the very definition of a flight risk. Dude, you were on a flight. Anyhow, looks like this isn't Dominique's first trip down the abuse of power alley. A lot of women who aren't afraid anymore have come forward. And I can see why the French are upset about him being photographed in handcuffs doing a perp walk. He looks guiltier than a priest in a boys' school at 3 a.m. with a pocket full of condoms. And I get that power is an aphrodisiac, but where do all these politicians get this above-the-law attitude? As soon as you get elected, they must take you to a room, bend you over, and give you a series of entitlement shots. Then again, maybe you don't need the shots. It's probably a prerequisite. All those rallies and sycophants and phony smiles, and eventually, just like Mom warned you, your face freezes like that. There's too many to be a coincidence. Clinton, Edwards, Vitter, Ensign, Craig, Sanford, Spitzer, and, as everybody secretly suspected, Schwarzenegger. Shocker, huh? Who knew? What next? Clam chowder on Fridays? Arnold denounced he fathered his son with his housekeeper, who continued to work for the family for the next 10 to 14 years. Talk about dedication. And think of the nerve of not telling your wife while your illegitimate kid is wandering around the house. No, that's chutzpah. I guess he took that whole acting like a member of the Kennedy clan just a little too far. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. would note that uh, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger could have perhaps benefited from reading our pal Gail Murphy's book, Interview Tactics, How to Survive the Media Without Getting Clobbered. Gail joined us for our chat with Norman Lloyd in Hollywood, and we expect to bring her on the show in the next couple of weeks to talk a little bit about this because, well, she's one of the BBC's go-to people in Hollywood covering this unfolding uh, scandal involving Arnold and Maria. I got a feeling we'll be able to bring a spokesperson on for Arnold Schwarzenegger on next week's show. We'll, we'll see. Let's talk uh, about health care, where we left off with Dr. Douglas Prednia. He's got some pretty good ideas on how we can fix things, and we'll talk about those after a break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. <laughs> 